is the Evan York Podcast. All right. Well, Sean Humphrey, sir, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, this has been a long-awaited uh, episode, and I'm so grateful that you came out here and are doing this. Um, I have to give you a grand introduction. So, <laughs> so um, you know, when I was younger, when I was 16, I guess yeah. it was, 15, 16, um, Sean was my golf coach and very quickly became the guy who shaped the way that I think. I'm going to try not to get emotional. That's how much you mean yeah. to me. Um, everything that I, I tell my whole company now, I mean, the way that I set goals, the way that I think, the way that I... I strategize my, my mind is, is completely from you. Um, and so I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and just grateful that we reconnected and that you're here. And, um, so Sean is a, a a high performance coach. He's a coach to, uh, multiple professional athletes, amateur athletes in every sport, motocross, golf, football. I mean, you really, you do it all. And it's been cool to see you go from a lot of technical training into the mental coaching over the last couple of years, because it's just been profound. I mean, we were just talking um, right before we started about uh, some of your motocross riders, and these kids are 16 years old, and they're doing things that, I mean, I feel like professional riders could never pull off. Let's go back for a second. So start back. Well, kind of how you got Evan, into first it. and foremost, I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And I've seen you grow from a young 16 year old kid into a, an incredible businessman. And, and I've enjoyed watching that from afar. And uh, Thank it you. touches me very, it, it touches me. I mean, it really does. I think it's really, really cool. And I'm, and I'm so proud of you and your parents uh, must be extremely proud of you. And you've got some of the greatest parents in the world. I've gotten to know them over the years. Thank you. And, uh, Hey, this is a pleasure. This is fun. This is cool. You know, sitting here and you've got these great offices here and I'm in downtown Dallas, you know, I'm not in South Florida right yep. now. So sitting here in the city and you got your guys here with the crew. I mean, <clears> this is, this is cool stuff. So I appreciate the, the invite to sit here and talk some shop. Thank you. You know, thank you. I'm excited. And, yeah. I mean, how can you not be? You know, uh, so, you know, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. I mean, you saw it, right? I mean, yeah. you were kind of in the midst of when I was running the academy, right? Yeah. And, and, and you saw how I started migrating into the, the mindset piece in my earlier days of, mm-hmm. of coaching. You know, I, I grew up, I grew up in Oklahoma, right? Just north of Tulsa, very small town, about 2,300 people. We didn't have much. We had a nine hole golf course, Right. We had a local swimming pool, which was pretty cool. We had a billiards parlor that had two regulation snooker tables and had four regular pool tables. We had an eight-lane bowling alley. Um, we had a rodeo stable, you know. I mean, and we had all the, the sports. See, there was really no need to leave. Yeah, sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, right. Um, summers were great there, and I, I started learning golf at a young age, became pretty good at it. I'd never even seen a driving range till I started competing. Wow. I just learned to play the game. Yeah. And I got decent at it, had a decent junior career, and it afforded me to play college golf. And when I got into college, what was interesting is is I started having more of these highs and lows in my performances, Hmm. right? I could shoot a low round one day, then it was a higher round the next. So I could shoot like 69, 70, then it was 75, 76. Hmm. Then I would come back with a lower, then a higher, and it was always this Jekyll and Hyde, you know, yeah. Type performance. They shoot a low number on the front, high number on the back. And you were playing golf in college. Correct? Yeah, I was playing golf in college. And I, I probably out-trained everybody. And when I got in competition, I probably over-tried 
more than everyone. And everyone that I would go get help with, um, they would work on skills. I get it. Skills are important. Yeah. But why? Why did I have these highs and lows? And, you know, the old adage was, well, you just got to play in more competition, Humphreys. You know, you got to be more competition hardened. Well, I'm playing in a lot of competition. Yeah. And so fast forward that I majored in education, right? And I taught my first year out and, and I enjoyed that. But I've always been intrigued with curriculums and how in education and learning. Now I wasn't the best at it, but I'd always intrigued with it. Right. right. And then I turned professional. Okay. And I was playing professional and my numbers got lower because I had less obstacles right now. I was really focusing on just me and I didn't have school and, and, all the variables that were added with that as an amateur and in college. Right. But I still had the disparity in the scores. The numbers got lower, but I still had these highs and lows. And mm. I could beat a lot of these guys in just regular playing. But when they dropped the flag and handed me the pencil to write it down, things kind of changed a little bit. Mm. And that was always a quandary to me. Why is that? And the answers, I never got those answers. And everyone that I would go to, all they would want to work on is my golf swing and work on my skill set and not, not teaching me how to train for high stakes situations, learning to control my thoughts in a very stressful situation, yeah. not letting the environment dictate how I think, mm-hmm. right? All the things that we're talking about today was not a recipe. What I'm doing was not a recipe for success. So I went broke uh, mm-hmm. playing professional golf. I went through all my money, went through all wow. my investors' money. I had $500 in my pocket. Wow. And I did. I went broke. And, um, and I moved to California. And, wow. And um, had everything in my truck, in my blazer, moved to California. And um, what, was started, your, what was your plan? Uh, I was going to go out there and go teach. Okay. And um, I'd been doing a little bit of teaching. Yeah. Right? And, and I really started honing my skills. I'd spent some time with some really good instructors. And you'll like this. This is pretty funny. And the audience listening today, you guys are going to get a kick out of this because what, ha- what happened? What happened was is I became a really good technical coach. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why? Because that's the paradigm that we lived in. Right. And it still is, right? And everyone gets, I mean, I became very technical and I was really good at it and Here's kind of the, the eye opener for me is that I had athletes win on every tour around the world mm. and I couldn't tell you why they won. Mm. I had no clue. Wow. And what's interesting is, you know, you can look at all the stats, right? You can look at outcome. It's easy to look at outcome. Heck, an eight-year-old can add up outcome. Fairways hit, greens and regulations, total putts, up and downs. I mean, everybody can see the outcome piece. Yeah. And, but why? Why? That was what I was searching for, you know, and, and Parcells, and we'll get into his, some of his stuff a little bit later, but he, he made a comment to me when I met him later on, he said, Humphreys, he goes, you got it. He goes, it's not, it's not only important to understand why you win. Why do you lose? Hmm. And I was all, always about the why. And so I didn't even know why my athletes were losing. Because yeah. I would just go back to the technical piece, fix their golf swing, getting them hitting it great, pat right. them on the back and say, hey, man, you're hitting it great. Come back and see me when you're not hitting it so well. Yeah. And we'll look at your swing. Yeah. And we'll look at your swing right. again. Or when Brant cuts his fingers off. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. And that, that's a crazy story in itself right there. And we, yeah. can, we can talk about it. So um, I knew I needed to change. So in the early 2000s, I started building my youth academy. 
right? And it was something that I was really passionate about. I'd coached college golf in, in, in California uh, at Monterey College, and I was a director of Carmel Valley Ranch, right? I was okay. a director yeah. out there at, at the resort. And uh, my teaching really started growing, but it was all technical, hmm. all technique. And I knew I needed to change because as a coach, our responsibility as a coach is to give our athletes the opportunity to have winning performances. Hmm. That's, our, that's our responsibility. And we got to figure it out. And I knew that I wasn't finding what I needed in my space of hmm. golf. And I went to all the great coaches. I went to all these great academies. Why weren't these coaches training their athletes for high-stakes situations? Why weren't they training them for competition? Yeah. Why wasn't there a mindset piece put in place? So in the early 2000s into 2001, I was based at the Dallas Cowboys Golf Club, right? Mm -hmm. Where you and I yep. met. And Jerry Jones bought, brought in a guy by the name of Bill Parcells. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bill was a big time golfer. Jerry introduced us and said, hey, you guys might like to connect. So we did. And we played a lot of golf together, started spending time. And I'm asking him all kinds of questions about performance. He's like, damn, Humphreys. He goes, you ask a lot of questions about performance, man. I'm like, coach, I need to learn. Yeah. He goes, you don't know this stuff? I said, man, I don't. Yeah. And he's like, wow. So we kept having these conversations. He goes, why don't you come in the NFL? Why don't you come in and spend some time learning this stuff? And I was like, I kid in a candy store. I'm in. Right? I'm in. At that time, um, Sean Payton was his quarterback coach and really kind of the offensive coordinator back then that, you know, Peyton was doing everything at a very young age, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, the late Tony Sperano was his defensive line coach. Mike Zimmer was his defensive coordinator. A star cast of coaches, mm -hmm. right? Todd Haley was there as well. And I'm learning a lot from these guys, right? And so I started bringing these concepts back into my academy. Mm hmm Everything was defined, it was measured, it was timed. Yeah. There was no randomness going on, no aimless training going on. Mm -hmm. And and that's about the time that you started coming in right. when I met you. And so you were you were on the front edge of of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And results really started showing up because mm. it was highly organized, right? It wasn't that we weren't organized, but things weren't defined, measured, and timed. Right. Had framework, had right. steps. And performance started going through the roof with the athletes, and I knew I was onto something. Hmm. I really did. But then I knew I needed to get to a higher level. So after three years, those guys left. Peyton went after, left, went to the Saints after right. his second year. Um, Sperano stuck around, so did Zimmer, and then Bill went to Miami, mm -hmm. right? And I always kept in contact, but I knew I needed to get to that higher level, which is the Olympic space. Mm -hmm. That's where the pinnacle of all sports, not all sports, but the major the Olympic sports. Yeah. I mean, it's the pinnacle. And it, it, you, we talked about this on the phone the other day, but explain, before you explain that, explain why it's the pinnacle of all sports. Because we talked about this the other day, and I thought it was, it was eye-opening when you mentioned why the Olympic athletes are so far ahead. Well, when you, you, when you look at it, you look at the Olympic sports, you look at, you mean, um, boxing, okay? Um, you look at gymnastics, you look at swimming, you look at wrestling, um, all the track and field sports, mm -hmm. okay? Um, most of the sports are individual self-initiated sports. Mm -hmm. Most mm -hmm. of them, when you look at it, okay? And 
they're training when you, because the pinnacle of their competition Mm -hmm. for those individual sports is at the Olympics. Yeah. Right. You know, so now you look at, they brought golf into the space, right? And there's basketball. Basketball has been in the Olympic space for a long time, but you look at all the international countries and they have national teams that are funded by the countries and they train. I mean, you know, years ago, we used to be, uh, baseball used to be in the Olympics, right? In Memphis, they used yeah. to, that's where the Olympic training compound right. for baseball was. And, but here in the United States, we don't have national teams mm. because they're not funded by the government. Mm-hmm. And all the other countries are. Right. So there's, there is a huge um, draw for young individual athletes because it's subsidized by the government. Now, there is subsidization here. Now, granted, I'm not an Olympian, okay? I'm not. And I know these Olympians and Olympic coaches know a lot more than I do, but I spent a lot of time in the space. Sure. But this is kind of what I learned, right? Is their training is at, it's at a level that we can't even relate to. Mm. Their level of commitment, um, their level of perseverance to the pursuit of the goal. Yeah. Is not even at a level that, you know, here on earth in mainstream sports that right. we can really we can't relate even comprehend to. it. Right. They're training for four years. For one event. They give up everything. For one event. Yeah. One event. Yeah. Four years. Mm-hmm. So that's why they have to be isolated. They have to be in these obscure hotbeds around the world, removed from mainstream, removed from all the obstacles, removed from all the variables. Yeah. So they can stay focused. Mm-hmm. That's what's so fascinating about it. So it's a hard space to get in. Um, and I've got nothing to do with the Olympics, right? Yeah. And so um, out of the blue, I got a call from um, one of the guys that you had trained with. His father was VP of logistics for UPS. And I'd trained his son for quite a while. He reached out to me and said, hey, I've got an introduction to an Olympic coach for you. I'm like, really? He says, yeah. He goes, he's at your back door, about 12 miles out your back door. I'm like, come on. Wow. I mean, I talked to all the sports psychologists, right, you know, and, and trying to learn this stuff. Right. You know, and sports psychology is great. I mean, it really is. But the challenge is, is that I was, I'm looking for a system. Mm-hmm. You want a process. Yeah. I want steps and framework, right? I mean, it's kind of like when we have a national disaster in this country, we don't send in first reactors. We send in first responders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. A great because point. They're, they're trained to respond. Right. It's right. it's even level. It's levels down from our military. Right. Yeah. I mean, our military goes in. They're trained to respond, not react. Mm-hmm. And and I knew they did that at the Olympic level. So I got introduced to a guy by the name of Lanny Basham. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Lanny. Um, what was interesting is is that Lanny was well retired from Olympic coaching and uh, being a participant. Actually, being a gold medalist, set multiple gold records, won an Olympic gold medal, bronze and silver. And we got introduced, and he's asking me a lot of questions. I'm asking him a lot of questions. And he understood my frustrations. And he goes, Sean, he goes, um, I share with you the frustration. He goes, I was the same way as an Olympian. Hmm. I got very sick and tired of being sick and tired, like you. Um, he goes, but you're doing it as a coach. I did it as a competitor, hmm. and I knew I could beat these guys, and I could beat these guys. I could beat them in 
Olympic trials. I could beat them in world championships. Yeah. But when it came down to winning the gold medal, I couldn't beat them. Hmm. I couldn't see what they were doing. Hmm. Now, yeah, everyone looks at technique. Right. But it may, the, the technique may look very similar or even the right. same. And that's what everybody looks at. Yeah. Now, he goes, at that time, I couldn't see mindset. Hmm. But I see it now. Hmm. I said, so what'd you do? He goes, well, I just got pissed off and sick and tired of it. He said, I went to, uh, I, as an Olympian, I started interviewing all these Olympic gold medalists, hundreds of them. And I started asking all these questions. And he goes, I built the framework of all the questions asked. And all the answers started coming back almost exactly the same. Wow. And I asked the coaches the same stuff too. And he wow. goes, you know, we all follow the Olympic training model. Mindset is always an afterthought. It's never paired with training. It's always separate from it. Mm -hmm. We always work on skill, skill acquisition, skill acquisition, skill acquisition, but not mindset or knowledge acquisition. It's always separate from it. So true. So I started building this framework. He designed the principles, designed the framework, the steps. He built the systems. He built the programs. And he built it and went and set 25 world records, won Olympic gold medal. Gosh. So he has records that are still set today. And, you know, Lanny's in his late 70s, right? Yeah. So um, he and his son came out, Troy, which you know, yep. right? They came out and observed our training. And he asked me, he said, um, where'd you learn to train like this? I told him, I said, I learned from the NFL. He says, who? And I said, from Parcells. I said, why do you ask? He goes, you're already starting to train. He goes, we see resemblance of this, of you training like Olympians. I said, I knew I was on to something. I knew it. <laughs> I knew I was on to something, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So that was kind of the icebreaker for us. Sure. And, um, you know, he brought me under his wing and, uh, you know, I brought him into the academy and I spent 10 years with him. Wow. Uh, he was very kind Gosh, to was me. it 10 years? Yeah, he spent 10 wow. years with, yeah. Doesn't and, seem like that long. Um, brought me into the Olympic space, introduced me to all the Olympic coaches, and I started learning a lot about Olympic training. Hmm. And so I learned, I, it took me 10 years to learn his mindset program. Wow. Why did it take 10 years? Because of all the details and the intricacies of it, because it's not just the think piece. It's all the preparation with all the Olympic training stuff that goes on, yeah. right? You know, what do you look like on game day? What are you supposed to look like on game day? What do you look like the week out, two weeks out, four mm -hmm. weeks out, six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 52 weeks out? What does yeah. the project getting model look like? And we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about that mm -hmm. project goal getting model. Um, man, there were so many layers of it. And I was hell bent on, on learning it. So what I did, what was the great thing about it was, is my buddy that was with UPS, he goes, look, he goes, the best way to find out if this stuff works, you've got to have a laboratory. Hmm. And he goes, you have the laboratory. You had 150 kids in the academy. Yeah. So I started bringing it back over all those years and just kept testing it and testing it and testing it and refining it. I'm testing it on you. Yeah. And you didn't even know it. No. And I'm testing it, right? <laughs> and... Now, all of a sudden, performance is really starting to explode. I mean, you saw it. You it was amazing. It. Yeah. It was amazing. I, I remember seeing kids, and it wasn't, it was the performance, but it was the consistency. It was, they could repeat it over yeah. and over and over again. That was what was so amazing to me. Yeah. It's, and 
So that went on for, for many years, right? And so literally over a 17-year span of building this system and testing it over and over and over again with the NFL, with the Olympic stuff, then I built this system, which is now called EPS, Elite Performance Systems, Mastering How You Think, Train, and Perform. Hmm. And five years ago, this is December now, or in 2020, starting in January, will be our sixth year. Wow. I rolled it out to the university space. Because, hmm. you know, we had all these relationships with all these universities around the country oh, yeah. because all the kids were going. All the going kids are going to. Them. Right. And I said, you know, if, if, if we can run this program with 150 kids in an academy, surely you can run it with a 10-man team, right? I, I could do it with my eyes closed. <clears throat> um, and I'm just being sarcastic. <laughs> but You could, though. But, I mean, I'm thinking it would be pretty easy for them. Yeah. So we did. We started rolling it out. And we started with one school. And um, now we have 30 universities around the country that are running the system. Now we're in, now we're, now we're in different sports. So now it's migrated into different sports. And, um, you know, Coach Payton down mm -hmm. in New Orleans, yep. um, Sean's, an, I mean, an incredible, incredible human being. I mean, I can't say enough about him. And he's a Parcells prodigy. Yeah. He's really unconventional. And he and I, are, are we're both really unconventional. And we get that piece, right? And uh, so we'd always see each other a few times a year. And we talked about, he says, hey, why don't you come in for a training camp? And um, I said, man, I'd love to come in for a training camp. And came in for a training camp. And the next thing you know, I was there for quite a long time. And then he asked me to come back. Yeah. And here I just started doing consulting for him. And, wow. Uh, working with the defensive piece. Ryan Nielsen is a defensive line coach. Mm -hmm. He's a young guy. I think he's just under 40. Okay. Unbelievable. One of the best teachers I've ever been around in when it comes to sports and you can see what he's done with the, the defense, they've, they've yeah. turned it around. So, um, now, you know, now we're in motor, we're more motocross, mm -hmm. right? We can talk about that and major league baseball, um, and, and football. And, and, uh, you know, what's, what's interesting is, is that it's, uh, it's changed my life hmm. on so many levels. The, the mindset piece. So yeah. the EPS is, because there's so many things, there's so many layers in right. programs and systems within EPS. Right. That it's 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 changed my life. I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a better father. I'm a better parent. I'm a I'm I'm a better husband. Wow. You know, because of this. Yeah. Uh, I'm a better businessman. Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a much better coach. Yeah. You know, um, and in looking through the lens of. My lens is the same now for every sport. Mm. It used to be a different pair of lens because everybody's like, oh, well, this is football. You got, you know, what do you know about football? And I'm like, I really don't know a damn thing about football. Yeah. But I know, I understand performance. I can teach you how to think. Yeah. And, and, I, and I can help you with your training so that yeah. you don't overtrain and overtry. Right. That's the kiss of death. Mm. Overtraining and you overtry because you don't trust. Hmm. I'm trying as hard as I can, coach. I'm giving 110%. We want to play those people because we can beat them because they're mm. over-trying and they're giving more than they possibly can. Right. 110 doesn't exist. I don't even know why people say that. Yeah. I'm giving 400%. It's like, really? where are you getting 400%? Where's that coming from? <laughs> it only goes to 100. You got an army behind you? Right. 
Wow, that's so good. So I, I love that story because uh, you're right. I mean, I was I was in that group, right? I guess in the laboratory, yeah. Un, you know, knowingly, uh, but learning so much. And I remember the day that you pulled all of the parents in. And back then, I think I was probably 15. Yeah. You pulled <clears throat> you pulled all the parents in one night, and you had Troy come and talk. Yeah. And you explained like, listen, here's what we're gonna do. And we're going to bring these guys in and we're going to like kind of take this to the next level. And we're going to try some stuff out. We had almost 300 people in that room. It was unbelievable. I remember we left and my dad looked at me and he was like, son, this is probably the the greatest thing we ever could have found. Like this is next level. Really? He, he, he couldn't even fathom what we had just stumbled into because, you know, for the first time, somebody was not just talking about okay, you're, you're coming over the top a little bit. Yeah. You're not talking about stance. It's, it's Correcting technique all day long. And I think what all of the parents in there saw as well, Sean, was not so much just their kid's performance in the game of golf, but they thought this is a framework that my kid can use for life. I agree. And that's what was so powerful. And so I, I loved being a part of that because I mean it when I say it. I mean, everything that I do today, the way that I think is is inside of of that i mean that was the basis of the way that i just mentally manage myself these yeah. days it was so powerful um so i want to talk a little bit about goal setting i think that's a good place to start um you know we're coming up on a new year everybody's setting goals and um i remember always talking with you about this and you talked with the whole group about about goal setting and setting goals and how um you know i remember one thing that you told me was Evan, if we go out on the golf range right now and we ask every single person who's hitting a golf ball what they're working on today, none of them are going to have an answer. They're all just going to say, I'll just warm it up or I'll just hitting balls. And we're never going to be those people. So talk a little bit about the goal setting process and how you see that. Um, and whether it's a, you know, a goal in, in a sport or it's a goal just in life, um, how can somebody go from... Uh, the idea of what they want to do to training for it and then achieving it. Bringing it to reality. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting is that everybody wants to change outcome. Hmm. Right? But few are willing to change their habits and their attitudes. Hmm. So true. And um, change their training. Yeah. Everyone focuses on moving the needle. And the needle is important. But they forget about the main thing is the compass. Hmm. Where is the compass pointing? The compass, that's your habits and your attitudes. Mm-hmm. Towards the pursuit of getting better. Right. So if, if we're going to get better... Uh, you know, Parcells told me this. He told me a lot of things. He says, if you're, going to point the, if you're going to point the finger, you better be standing in front of the mirror. Hmm. Massive accountability. So change starts with us first. Mm-hmm. And we have to change our habits and our attitudes. Mm-hmm. So um, growing up, I was not real good at math. Matter of fact, I was horrible at it. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, my grades reflected how 
bad I was. Right. Even my test reflected how bad it was. It kept telling me. So those imprints kept telling me yeah. how bad I was. Right. Right? So that's killing my self-image. Yeah. So how was my attitude towards that? Horrible. Mm. So if my attitude is horrible, how are my habits? Mm-hmm. My habits are a reflection of my attitude. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn math. And I had a really good friend of mine. She was a softball and volleyball player. And she lived down the road from us. And she was really good at math. And, I, you know, we'd spend time together and hang out. And I'd always run down there. And her mom would always cook dinner for us and hang yeah. out and stuff. And it was really cool. And I just said, why are you so good at math? She goes, Sean, it's not that difficult. I said, really? She goes, it's not. She goes, let me teach you. I said, okay. Well, my, my attitude towards her was much different than it was towards the teacher, mm-hmm. towards the classroom, towards the environment. Right. Because we were friends. Mm-hmm. And I trusted her. Yeah. And so she started teaching me. So your whole outlook on math was, My, was different. It was. And so once I started realizing that it was really... My attitude started changing, and so my habits started changing, and I started learning math. Mm. And I realized that my grades could change, but I had to change my habits and my attitudes. Yeah. And I became pretty decent at it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, let me just tell you folks, if you're listening to this, you yeah. better learn math. You may need to learn finance because you get into business for yourself. Um, it's, it's critical. You've got to know it. <laughs> it's critical. You have to know it. You <laughs> have to know it. So if you're going to start down any journey to get good at anything or set your projects, right? I really almost look at goals as projects, Mm. okay? Now, here's the reason why. We've been doing projects our whole life. Yeah. Okay, we've been doing them since we were little kids. You know, if you're fortunate enough to have, you know, parents that were really involved with you, you know, you're doing doing projects as families, Mm -hmm. doing them with your mom or your dad. Kindergarten, doing projects. And we all know that projects require certain materials. Right. You got a list of things that you got to get, and there's a deadline. Right. And so we've been doing projects from the time we were little kids, first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way up, even all the way through high school. Yeah. Then once we get in, <clears throat> into high school and we get out and we get in college, and now they want to introduce this concept of goals. Mm-hmm. But goals are not really defined and measured in times like we did projects. And so when I use the, the Olympic model, I broke it down as to, okay, man, these are just projects. Hmm. So they resonate. They resonate so much better with the young athletes because they've been doing projects. Right. So... It's broken up into smaller portions. It is, and there's, there's deadlines. You know, everyone says, well, what's your goal for, you know, 2021? Well, I want to do this, and I want to accomplish this and this. Okay, when? Yeah. What's the exact day and date mm-hmm. that you're going to accomplish this? I mean, I, you know, I think it's important that, you know, the audience needs to understand, I mean, When you set a project, it needs to be big enough 
to be life-changing for you. That's the first thing. Such a great point. I mean, look what Olympians do. Yeah. It's life-changing. Because why would you, it's, it will get hard. Why would you keep going if it's, if it's not, not gonna, a life-changing event? If it's not going to be life-changing for you. Yeah. And when you break it down, it's like, okay, I spend a lot of time with young athletes that their goal is to play collegiate sports. Yeah. That's life-changing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you know, basically they've got to determine a project worth trading their life for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's important, you know, to identify exactly what it is that you want. You've got to be specific. Talk about that because okay. that, that's something that I love. Like I, I, will, I will sit and visualize things that I want to the point that I start to sweat. Like it's so mm-hmm. intense. I can see it and feel mm-hmm. it oh, and yeah. taste it and smell it. Yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons you're so successful is because you think about it and you talk about it and you write about it all the time. Well, it, it's, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, I learned it from you. Yeah, well, it's, it's so important, but like what, so, I mean, cause people out there will say, okay, I want to get into shape this year. I want to get in the gym. Um, you told a story about uh, when I can't remember which which ball player it was that when like on game day once when they win they know exactly what that looks like. How important is it to really crystallize the goal and what it's going to look like when you achieve it down to every single little detail? Yeah, I'll I'll walk you through that. Um, I think you know I ask a lot of questions to the athletes. Right? Yeah. And one of the questions that I ask is, tell me what you look like on game day. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's like, okay, when you've got to perform, it doesn't matter whether it's on the field, off the field, in the classroom, in business. Mm. What do you look like, dude, on performance day? I've never gotten an answer. Hmm. Evan? Got an answer from a couple top athletes, guys like Drew Brees and guys yeah. like that. Yeah. But here's the thing is that if you don't know what you look like on game day, how do you how do you know what to look like the week before? Mm-hmm. 2 weeks out, 4 yeah. weeks out, 6 weeks out, 8 weeks out, 12, 32, 52 weeks out. Now, the other piece too is that I'll ask is that if you don't know what you need to look like on game day, does your coach know what you need to look like right. on game day? Right. And would you say hey, that many do not? Oh, hey, I, I'm, you're talking to one that didn't. Yeah. I didn't know what my athletes needed to look like on game day. I'll be the first to tell you. I was horrible at it, man. Hmm. So the first thing is you got to determine a project worth trading your life for. Okay. So a lot of these athletes that I work with, you know, they want to play college sports. They might be a sophomore in high school. They mm-hmm. might be in ninth grade. They might be a junior. Yeah. Okay, well, what's the exact day and date... Okay, that's what's the exact day and date do you want to accomplish this? Okay. So we got to work backwards. Okay. See, everybody works everybody works in the wrong direction. Okay. I've always been a person that, you know, has taken the model and turned it upside down. Mm-hmm. Everything. I turn everything upside down because everything flows from the top to the bottom. Right. Yeah. Turn it upside down and you can look at the bottom and you can look underneath it and you can look inside it. And start seeing how everything goes to the top from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. So good. So you've got to decide when you want this. I want to know the exact day and date 
Okay? Mm-hmm. You're going to get this. Now we work back from there. Okay. All right? Now, next you got to list the pay value. Okay? Why do you want this project? Hmm. I want to know why. I mean, I want you to list all the reasons that are important to you to accomplishing the project. Hmm. Okay? And you got to make certain that this project is big enough and life-changing for you. Okay? If not, it's not going to be worth it. Now, people are motivated by three things. One, promise of gain. I accomplish this goal, I'm going to gain this. Okay? The next is fear of loss. If I don't accomplish this, what am I going to lose? And then the third, which is kind of the, the warm and fuzzy piece, is recognition. Hmm. These, these are the finest three wires of how people are motivated. Yeah. Okay, so now it's okay. So now you got to set your project big enough to change your habits and your attitudes. Hmm. Now, if you don't, it's just not going to be worth it. Yeah. Right? If, if it's too small, it's not going to be worth it at all. Okay? I mean, your project also has to be yours. Okay. It can't be another. Hmm. It can't come from another. Hmm. It's got to be yours. This is what I want. Okay? This isn't passion, dude. Passion's so overrated. Dude, this is what I want. Has nothing. This is what my commitment, this is what my perseverance, this is what my pursuit is. This is what I'm busting my ass for. Next is we got to evaluate, okay, our obstacles. I mean, these are steps that people miss all day long, right? So again, we got to be specific, all right? What must you do to overcome each obstacle? Now, here's the thing. People look at obstacles as negatives. Hmm. They're not. Now, I'll tell you this, is that if you don't list out your obstacles and manage your obstacles, they will turn into barriers, and barriers will keep you from accomplishing your project. Yeah. They'll keep you from getting your training in. Right. So if your obstacles could be, you know what, um, if they're a young athlete, maybe they don't have a car, maybe they can't drive, maybe they got to rely on transportation. Hmm. School's an obstacle. I got to manage that. I got to go, I got sleep. I've got to work out. I got to go, I go to church with my parents. I spend Sundays with my parents. Well, we, I mean, there's a lot, the, of, lot these, of things that, that, that are There's a lot the of things that we manage on a regular basis. It's like when you ask me to come down here. Right. So I'm in with my family. We're getting ready for the holidays. We got this going on, this going on. I have to make sure I manage all of this stuff. Yeah. So that I can be here today sitting with you talking about the thing that I love the most. Mm -hmm. So I have to manage all those obstacles. Right. So, you know, next is, I mean, this is important. It says, what's your plan to get the project? Okay. Now we're working back from, okay. Mm -hmm. The difference between a wish and a project is a project has a written plan, dude. Mm-hmm. It's written. Right. And wishes usually don't come true anyway. They don't. Projects with written plans have a much higher chance of being accomplished. Planning saves time and it provides direction. Hmm. 
Planning saves time and it provides direction. Yeah. Now, I hadn't been downtown Dallas in a while. I had an idea where Lamar Street was, but you know, I didn't know if there's construction going on down here. So I had to plan my route. Saves time. Yeah. If I hadn't planned my route and I looked at it on Google Maps and what was going on and how to get down here, I'd probably be still be driving around the city yeah. trying to figure out how to get down here, right? <laughs> right. It's true. Planning saves time and, and it provided me direction. Yeah. It, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. And what's what's it so when somebody's making this plan for a goal, what is involved in that? What what are what exactly are they planning? Well, the next step is you gotta evaluate the plan. Right. And I think there's several questions that you really have to ask yourself is that, you know, how will going for this project affect the priorities in my life? Hmm. How will it affect the people I care about? Is the plan consistent with my fundamental values? Yeah. Do I believe that this plan will work? I think these are important questions. Do I believe I can work the plan? Mm -hmm. Am I willing to work the plan? Habits and attitudes. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe that this will work, Coach. You know, I believe I, I believe this will work. Okay. Well, then let's get to work. Well, well, well. I'm not quite ready to start yet. Oh, okay. Habits and attitudes. Yeah. Now, is the prize worth the price that you're going to have to pay for this? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is the most important step in the project setting process. Is that you got to ask yourself, is the pay value worth the price I have to pay for it? Hmm. Look at all the things you gotta, you got to do. A lot mean, to, there's a lot to overcome. I mean, in, in pursuit of any worthy goal, and especially yeah. ones that we're talking about, which are high goals and, right. and high dreams, there's going to be a lot to pay for. So if it's positive, the chances are you're on track. Right. Yeah. And if the plan and the pay value, if they don't match, then we've got to adjust something. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Then that, now we got to schedule the plan. Right. Now we got another step. Mm-hmm. Now we got to schedule it. Yeah. I mean, you got to put everything down on a schedule, man. I mean, what was the first thing I, I noticed when I walked into your office? Whiteboards. Yep. Every wall is a whiteboard. You got everything written down. Yeah. And you're looking at it. Right. It's in front of your desk. I mean, I'm looking at this wall right here and they've got dates. They got names of people. I mean, you got podcasts. I mean, you got all the stuff written down. You're looking at it all the time. Those are imprints. Mm-hmm. It's a good, I love it when you use that word. It's so good. It's so true. Well, you know, what we think about, talk mm-hmm. about, and write about improves the probability of that thing happening. You know, I require all my athletes to get a big whiteboard and put it in front of their, whether it's on their desk or if it's in their bedroom, and they, they write everything down because it's the last thing they see when they go to bed and it's the first thing they see when they get up in the morning. Yeah. You know, we often fail to remember that scheduling is the vital art of the planning process. Mm-hmm. Put it on a calendar, dude. Yeah. Projects written down in your own handwriting, not typing, okay, makes you more accountable to the project. Yeah. So true. And, and when you have that schedule... Um, and I think you're so good at, at this. And when you talk about this, it, it's just, it's very impactful because many people will set a goal and they'll have a plan of how to get there, but they never actually put the date on it. They never say, okay, well, every day at 6 a.m., you'll see me in the gym. Yeah. 
there, it's it's just I'll go to the gym every day. But there's well, a big difference between that and actually putting a time on. Everyone will set them, but man, it's it, it, we're talking about the dirty work here. Man. Yeah. We're talking about all the dirty work that goes into this. Yeah, and your process is so meticulous. It's so meticulous and so calculated. It has to be, right? Because, I mean, these are, these are important things that you're telling me that you want to accomplish. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it doesn't matter whether you're in business or, or what have you, whatever it is in life. It's like, man, this, this, this model changed my life. Mm-hmm. Everything, I use it in everything. Everything I do, you know, I do real estate investment. And I do it in my business. I mean, everything I do, every project that I want to accomplish, dude, I go through go through this. I mean, the next step is is now we got to start now. Mm-hmm. That's the next step. I mean, we got to be ready to go. Right. We, we can't hesitate. We can't delay. And we got to be ready to rock. You know, there's a really good quote that I heard at the Olympic level is that we have to you have to put out high quality effort consistently over time Hmm. and you can accomplish anything yeah high quality effort consistently over time and you can accomplish anything that's so good and then the next step is is that you know prior to reaching your project you've got to always have another project already set yeah immediately ready to get in ready to go in the shoot yeah and you start the whole process over again purging is one of the most healthiest things that we can do as human beings Cleaning out our closet, right? Cleaning out the garage. I mean, when you get it done, it's like this whole cleansing piece. I mean, it's very biblical, right? I mean, the whole cleansing piece of our body is, man, it's so important in our longevity, not only physically, but upstairs in our mind. Mm -hmm. And so when we accomplish this project, I see it with athletes happen all the time. They, they, They pass through these personal best in these performances and they have winning performances and even win championships right and they don't hit the reset button and they don't put new projects in place then they start performance starts to flatline on a graph and then they'll start a decline yep and they don't hit a reset then they go into a descend yeah it gets worse. Oh yeah, and then and then yeah. and then they're trying to put on the brakes, and now they're looking in the rearview mirror, going, "Oh, I just want to get back to where I was." It couldn't be more catastrophic. You know, the windshield is in front of you, telling you where to go, and we've got this damn rearview mirror, and we're looking in the rearview mirror, going, "Oh, I just want to get back to where I was." No, 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 no. You can't do that. It's time to keep going forward. Mm. And you have to hit the reset button. And the final, you know, you've got to hold on, man. You got to hold on or you got to trade up. So what does that mean? Well, the ninety the 95% will tell you that you're giving up. If you walk away from a project, they're saying, hey. You're giving up. You're abandoning it, man. You left us alone. This is, this is your priority. So what does that mean, hold on to the end or trade up? This is how the Olympians look at things, world-class athletes. In the pursuit of one project, don't be surprised that along the way, another project comes along that's more important to you than the current project that you're working on. So the 5%, we trade up. Yeah. 
the 95% just walks they, away. Well, they, 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 they're deeming that you walked away from it, mm-hmm. that you abandoned it. No, it's more important to me than the current project that I'm working on, man. I'm trading up. Yeah. And I always tell kids this because kids need to understand this. Yeah. Now it may not happen. I said, you know what? I may be long gone by the time this ever happens to you, but when it does, you're trading up. You're yeah. not giving up. Mm-hmm. It's more important. So that's kind of the way I look at projects. So strong. And I remember you always saying that about trading up. Never just walk away from something without something greater to right. uh, to, to go for. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think it's so profound when you talk about you have to have something else to go for right before you actually achieve the goal. Not even once you've achieved the goal, but before. And I've seen this with so many people. I've seen people achieve huge amounts of wealth and and great successes in, in sports or business or whatever, and they get it and then it's just, it's over for them. They fall into a depression. And I think everybody likes to say, well, that's because money doesn't make you happy or, you know, winning doesn't make you happy. But what that really is, is it's just the, it's a testament to we're our happiest in the pursuit of the goal. And, and once we have it, we have to go on to something greater. And so, um, well, we live, we live in a world that is all defined by outcome. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's not how we're measured. Okay. That's not how I measure my people that I work with. They're not measured by outcome. You're, you're measured by how well you have mastered your steps of performing. Mm-hmm. That's how you evaluate performance. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, everybody, I mean, I, I, was, I was in this mindset earlier in my coaching and you know, the greatest athletes in the world, they don't talk about going out and winning. Winning's an outcome. Hmm. I mean, you know, everybody says, oh, it's all about winning. Well, no, it's not. It's about winning performances. Because hmm. winning performances have varying degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, you take a salesperson, Right? And maybe they're new in sales. And you have veteran salespeople in an organization, you know, that have been doing it for 15 years. And you have someone that's brand new that's coming on. And they have a personal best. Mm -hmm. That's a winning performance. Yeah. And the problem is, is that, and people make this mistake all the time, and I see executives and sales divisions make this mistake all the time, they start comparing them to these veterans. What does that do to the self-image? Yeah. Kills it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no different, and, and you experienced it on the golf piece. You have a person that's an 85 shooter. Mm-hmm. They've never broken 80 before. And they're training and training and training, and they get in competition, and they have a personal best, and they break 80 for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's a winning performance. Right. It has varying degrees. Right. But most look at, oh, well, 80's not going to win you an event. We're not trying to not win the event. That. Yeah. So when you start breaking down your projects and you start working backwards from it, mm-hmm. 
okay? And you've got events that you have to participate in, and every day is an event. Right. So if you're in sales and you want to get to this number, okay, how many sales transactions is that going to be to get to that number? Mm-hmm. Spread over the day and date that you said you want to accomplish this, how many days am I going to be on the phone? How many hours am I going to be on the phone? How many people must I call every day? And then how many sales must I close on a weekly basis to stay on track towards this project? Mm-hmm. That's how we work backwards. It's the same way in competition. Sales is competition, man. My wife is in sales. She's the best salesperson I've been around in my freaking life, dude. She kills it. And she's damn good at running this project. Yeah. <laughs> she understands And she it. can tell me, I'm making right. 20, 20 calls today. Yeah. You know, 15 are it's cold calculated. calls, five are executive clients and existing clients that I'm following up with. She just gets after it. You yeah. told me when you thought other people were in the house and it was her just like hammering down on sales calls. I'm sitting in the calls. office, right? We got offices. Her office is the, the breakfast area, mm-hmm. right? And she loves looking out through the windows to the, the property, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. I'm back in my dungeon there, you know, <laughs> knocking. Cooking up, cooking cooking up, up performance yeah, schemes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cook, cooking up performance recipes. <laughs> and I hear her out there and she's carrying on, right? I mean, it sounds like there's four or five people Yeah. in the in the house and I'm like we got a party going on what's going on out there and I go out and she's she's sitting there by herself I said where'd everybody go she goes what are you talking about I said well who are all those people you were talking about or talking with she goes I was just on phone with a client I said you laughing and cackling and carrying on she goes oh yeah brand new client I just called today wow brand new client yeah so so she's adopted a lot of this the, all the mindset. She, she was really good at sales in the beginning, okay. right? She reads people really well, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that. It's probably another conversation yeah. um, that I learned, and it changed me forever, hmm. being able to read and treat people right the first time. Wow. Oh, mine. It's a system that I learned um, through Dan Corum, and um, unbelievable. I mean, it's I, I, I teach college coaches how to do this. I teach organizations how to do this, how to interview wow. people and all that. Wow. But she's she's a master at it. Yeah. And she can she can determine what their reads are when they get on the phone immediately. Hmm. And yeah, so it's pretty cool That's seeing fantastic. all this living living proof. So the, the projects, folks, are man, it's 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 key in, in laying this out. Because it's the yeah. blue it becomes the blueprint for you. Mm-hmm. I just hear so many people that, you know, well, we're gonna wing it, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, See and, what and, and you know in your sales, and it's like salespeople are um, people oriented, right? And first thing I ask when I start working with salespeople, what's the budget? Right? I want to see what the budget is. Yeah. I want to see what the numbers are. What What's your goal? Right? Mm-hmm. And let's work backwards from that. Right. Just like what? Set the what's the what's the project? What's the exact day and date that you want to accomplish this? And we yeah. work backwards from it. We turn the model upside down. Right. That's so good. So um, somebody set a goal and, and, and they're working towards it. One thing that, and I've experienced this, we all have, 
Um, the, the, if you're a, an 85 shooter, you've never broke 80 or you're a, a middle of the pack salesperson, you've never won or whatever it is. And you have that moment where you start to really succeed and you pull out ahead of the pack. Why is it that everybody's focus now goes in the rearview mirror? Why is that, that correcting self image there? Why does everybody look back and go, okay, now I have to worry about the guy behind me, not passing me instead of just continuing to execute the, the plan. Yeah, I think, and if I hear you right, you know, we're, how do I continue to grow myself? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. How do I how keep does, performing? How does, it, how, does it, how does it become like me yes. to continue to do this? Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. So that's what is called um, your self-image is how you really change performance. Okay. I mean, it's how it's, it is the finest, thinnest wire of the key mechanism that is in our brain. Hmm. Okay. Now, your self image is the sum of your habits and your attitudes. It's your area of comfort that we like to operate in. Hmm. And if we get pushed outside of that area of comfort, we're either going to push ourselves there or our self-image is going to retract us back. Hmm. Um, So let's say that you have a personal best in something. Yeah. And you've never had a personal best in this before. And then now it's like, okay, what do I do next? Personal best are great because they grow your self-image. But now we get so focused on trying to accomplish that goal again. Mm -hmm. We start overtraining and overtrying for that outcome. Right. Okay. So this is something that's interesting. It's not off topic, but it's slightly off base. Okay. We spend a lot of time looking at analysis, averages, statistics, especially in sports. I mean, it started in golf. If you look at, okay, this is my average, right? This is my average sales calls. These are my average close rate. This is what I average monthly. All the averages. Okay, and these are all, you you total them up at the bottom and you got all these averages. I'm going to tell you something. Averages are not brain compatible people. Mm. Here's the reason why. You never did that number. Mm. It's an average. It's a freaking average. Mm -hmm. It's the sum of all your great, the horrible, and in between. Yeah. Nobody's produced that number. Right. It's made up. This is what the Olympians do. And I'm telling you what, this is probably the biggest eye opener for me. All they focus on are personal best. Hmm. So if you look at, so if, the, if your self image grows and shrinks from imprints, okay, it's a sum of your habits and your attitudes and it's imprints. You have actual imprints, you have imagined imprints, you have environmental imprints. And all these imprints either grow or shrink your self-image. What you think about, what you talk about, what you write about, 
either grows or shrinks your self-image. Hmm. If you want to change performance, you must grow your self-image. Everybody else is working on skill acquisition, and they yeah. leave the self-image alone. They leave it. It's over here. They never pay any attention to it. And they wonder why when they get in a high-stakes situation, it's not like them to do it, or it's when they have a winning performance, it's not like them to do it again. Mm-hmm. Because they never paid attention to the, the self-image. The self-image pictures what the conscious mind sees. And it pictures what you imagine. It pictures what you sense. It pictures what you taste. It pictures what you hear. It pictures what you rehearse. So every imprint that you have, the self-image sees it. So if it's negative and it's a negative charge, that shrinks the self-image. Hmm. So great. If it's a positive charge, I mean, we teach, ath- we teach everyone. My wife is, is, is wonderful at this. She rehearses her sales calls. Mm-hmm. Consciously, she rehearses it. What yeah. happens? Self-image sees it. Now, if she sees herself imagining herself having a horrible sales call and I can't close this deal, what's the self-image saying? Well, you're probably not going to close it. It's not like you to do this. Mm-hmm. So your self-image is critical in you doing and going and becoming someone that you're not. You've got to grow your self-image. We have to become before we can attain. Yeah. Gosh, that's good. Everybody needs to go back and listen to that five-minute segment right there because that's, that's so important. How, when we have a goal, how can we uh, become this different self-image? How can we change okay. this personality? So talking about personal best, right? So at the Olympic level, right, stats and everything, going back to the stat sheet, right, averages and all that, those are for the coaches. Mm-hmm. Now let me tell you what personal best does for you. When you have a personal best, what does that do for you? Dude, it hits you everywhere. It's like, oh my gosh. It's warm and fuzzy. It's like, man, I did this. This is me. I accomplished this, right? Mm -hmm. It's real. I did that number. It's not an average. Now, you create these personal bests along the way, and you keep track of your personal best. All of our athletes, we track their personal best all the time. Mm. All the time. Every category. All you got to do is flip all your stats into personal best. That's all you got to do. It's the easiest way of doing it. Keep track of your personal best. Every, every week, every month, every quarter. Now, why is that so important? Because it's real. I actually did it. That's me. Right. It's not a stat. It's not an average. Mm-hmm. It's a real number. It becomes like me to do this. Sure. It's, it's, a, it's a key element in growing your self-image. Wow. So anytime you hit a personal best, keep track of that. And then that basically imprints your, it grows your self-image. It, does. it grows your self-image. And you don't compare it. It's just a personal best I did today. Yeah. And it's personal best are simple. Keep mm-hmm. them simple. I mean, what you want is you string along these personal best. Here's the deal. 
winning happens in training, not in competition. When you have personal best, those are winning performances. Mm -hmm. And you string together winning performances, and you can attain. So That's good. the becoming, right? Becoming is not measured. It's who you are along the way. Mm -hmm. And attainment is a combination of becoming and winning. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, I love it. I have chills. Um, so now you get, now you kind of get a, you get an idea of, of how this has changed my life. Right. Oh, I, I mean, it, well, I, I mean, can, you experienced it. Well, I, I can see it go into like everybody listening. This is not just performance in your job, performance in a sport. This is everything. This is everything. This is performance in your relationships oh, and your marriage. You, and it's, and it's then, done. It, it's done a 360 for, uh, my wife and, my relationship. How have you, so talk about that for a second. Like, how do you apply this for the people out there that maybe are, are struggling in a relationship yeah. or it's just not great? How do they begin to, because the way that I would apply it is have a goal with your partner. Yeah. Because um, when, once you achieve it, then you kind of flatline and, and you see a lot of couples do that. So how do you actually apply this to a, a romantic relationship? Yeah, it's, uh, and what was interesting is, is that, you know, when, you know, I, my wife says, well, you know it all. I'm like, no, I, I, don't, I don't know it all. <clears throat> I wish I knew it all. Yeah. I know that I don't know. And so here, here's some interesting talking points that I think that are important to write down. Your relationship has a self-image. Hmm. You as a husband... You have a self, you have, you have your self-image and your wife has a self-image. Okay. And we as a couple have a self-image. Okay. And that self-image has to be protected by both of you. Hmm. Okay. okay. So it's not me. It's not I. It's not what am I going to do. It's what we are going to do. Okay. It's two working towards one, hmm. not two working towards two. Okay. But I have to be mindful of my wife's self-image. Where is she vulnerable? Hmm. Where is she not vulnerable? So, for example, self-image. Folks, we don't have to be told what we did wrong. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be reminded right. of what we did wrong. Right. Not only in relationship, even with our kids. Mm -hmm. Now think about this on the coaching field. Okay, coaching athletes. The worst thing that you can do is remind somebody what they did wrong. What does that do to their self-image? Shrinks it. It shrinks it. What are we trying to do? We're trying to grow it. It's not our intent, but we live in such a negative society. I mean, our society is designed to suppress us to finish in the middle of the pack. Mm. Mm -hmm. Think about that. 
it's not designed for us to have success because everything is designed about outcome. Mm-hmm. And we forget about the most important piece, which is our self-image. I mean, this whole self-image piece really didn't come on to really about the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Right? So if me and my wife are talking, okay, and I'm doing something that she doesn't like, okay, it's funny. As opposed to, all right, here's a rule of thumb. Okay. Okay. Don't ever talk about what you don't want. Don't ever talk about what you don't want to do, what you don't want to eat, where you don't want to go, what you don't want to have happen, and what you can't do or what you're not doing. Who wants to hear that shit? Yeah, nobody. Nobody does. (laughs) Okay, now spin this. Okay. All of those that I just said, turn them around and say, you know, this is what I would really like to do. Would you like to do that with me? Mm-hmm. So much more positive. Wouldn't it be great if we could do this together? You know, I love it when you do this. I really like that when you do that. I mean, just think about it. Those positive imprints towards a significant other grow that self-image. Mm-hmm. Could you help me with this? Yeah. So me and my wife, we battled through this. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it was. It was, we'd point fingers at one another. Right? And I'm like, that's not how it works. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't point fingers at my athletes. Mm-hmm. And... There was a lot of conditioning that we had to go through on both sides. I mean, I point the finger at myself too, and she does too. And it's like, now it's like when we have conversations, it's, it's all about what you think about, what you talk about, what you write about, improves right. the probability of that thing happening. Mm-hmm. And you don't allow negativity in your I home. don't. You're no negativity. Dude, I, it doesn't happen. So what does that, practically, what does that look like? Like, what are the things a that lot of you correcting. guys do not say? A lot of correcting. Mm-hmm. And just like I do with my athletes. Yeah. You know? Look, man, we don't talk like that. Okay, how do we talk like? You know, it's like, if you want somebody to do something, and you want it done right, talk about the way it needs to be done. Not what they're not doing. Right. Nobody wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. If you want to destroy the self-image of an individual... Just talk negative. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's the easiest piece, right? So when my, you know, I spend a lot of time in Florida, right? right. Yeah. We have a home here in Colleyville, mm-hmm. right? Two boys, one sophomore at TCU. The other one's a senior in, uh, at Colleyville Heritage football player, right? Okay. So we, I have to balance all this, right? Yeah. You got and, a lot going on. And we're constantly planning, right? right? Constantly planning back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And um, by implementing these things into our family, it's changed the whole dynamics. Hmm. It really has. So what's an example of like something that maybe one of your kids said or you said that was negative and it was caught? How did you address that and then turn that into positive or, or just make that correction of, hey, we don't say that here? 
Like what's something that people say in their family that you guys may have said that was a negative that you Well, as you can imagine with two boys or three boys, right? Because I'm a boy, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. I'm more probably 12 years old than anything, right? Right. We all get there. The kitchen gets dirty. Kitchen sinks dirty. Yeah. Right? And it drives my wife berserk. Probably most wives it does, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can imagine, right? I mean... You know, you got a football player that eats five times a day, man, and he's eating everything in the house, right? So, right. So we have to make it a conscious effort to keep the kitchen clean and keep the kitchen sink clean, mm-hmm. right? So when it doesn't get done, we know where the attitudes go when the kitchen sink is not clean. And that's the attitudes of mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah so it becomes like us to keep the kitchen clean yeah because we know it's a lot easier to clean the kitchen than to hear what we don't want to hear when the kitchen isn't cleaned right right now she's a lot better at it Right, because mm-hmm. her habits and attitudes are much better. Mine are much better. I mean, it's just this is right. this is relationships, dude. This yeah. is marriage. It's man. the growth. It's the process. It's marriage, man. Marriage isn't easy. Yeah, it's not. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you get down to the finest, thinnest wires of of how we operate, when you want when you want someone to do something for you, ask. Mm. Don't tell. Now. Coaching's a little different, and mm-hmm. you've witnessed this with me because my compass runs a little bit warm most of the time. Right. It points towards the, the hot, hot yeah. hemisphere, right? <laughs> I'll usually ask a couple times, and then there's no more asking. Yeah. You know, then there's probably an ass-kicking going on, mm-hmm. right? But, I mean, that's, you know, and, you know, our household's like that, too, just like, any, you know, you yeah. ask, and then, okay, then the 11 and a half comes out, and you start kicking. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. You know, when you, when it, the best advice that I'd ever received is, you know, are, are, are you in a relationship one towards working or two toward working towards two? Or are you two working towards one? Hmm. Where are we going? We yeah. as a family, right? Yeah. And you folks listening is probably stuff you haven't heard before, but, or you have heard before and you're probably doing it. But to me, reinforcement is, is how you change everything. Mm-hmm. Reinforcing all the time. What you think about, what you talk about, what you write about improves the probability of it happening. I mean, I have my athletes and people that I work with, they write all the time. Yeah, I have training analysis that they use. I have performance analysis. Um, if you sit down and reinforce all the great things that you did at the end of the day, what you did, what you learned, what solutions you put in place, what was your day like, what, I mean... And then what you did great. I mean, you're listing out everything that you did great. Mm-hmm. What's that doing to your self-image? Oh, it just it, it blows it's the it final up. imprint that you have for your day, right? Yeah, um, I saw that. I saw. I witnessed that at the Olympic level. Mm. And man, it's it's a game changer. I mean, I've got notebooks. Man, I write on everything. I really have, for every subject, every topic that I'm that I'm on. I mean, I've got slide decks. I got notebooks on slide decks. I have notebooks for every athlete that I coach. Wow. Every athlete that, that you're I coach, coaching, you that, have a, yeah, a, a, I have a, a notebook, notebook for. for every one of them. 
And when I get on a call with them, everything's written down. I mean, I'm looking at their training space. I do Zoom calls with them on a weekly basis with, with the athletes. And if there was sports teams, I do teams like with motocross. Not only am I on Zoom call with the parents, but I'm on Zoom call with the riders, coaches, and the trainers and all that. And, man, I'm documenting everything. Wow. <clears throat> you know, because it's – yeah. <laughs> and most of the time, I've done it so many times with them, it's like – I, I know this, right? Yeah. Because I'm writing it down. I'm thinking about it. I'm talking about it, writing mm-hmm. about it. It just improves the probability yeah. of that thing happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Stanford did the study years ago. And, you know, and they said that, you know, when you write things down, it improves memory by 35%. Hmm. Handwriting. Yeah. Not typing. Not typing. Handwriting. It's part of your DNA. Because you have to think about it first, then you got to talk about it in your mind. Yeah, and you got to write it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like books that I read. I I basically rewrite the book. Yeah, you just write so much. I write it. so much. I write so much of the book, and so and I go back and I highlight it and highlight it and I break it down and and uh, it's all imprinting. Yeah, you know, when you imprint to your self image, you have. You have imagined imprints, and that's how you imagine things, mm-hmm. right? And believe it or not, some people imagine themselves having horrible performances. Yeah, or horrible lives. They do. Mm-hmm. A horrible day at work. Yep. Um, horrible day in practice. Man. I'm so unlucky. When is the other shoe going to drop? What's next? Right, and so, you know, if you can't, I mean, if, if you imagine those things, you become them. Mm-hmm. So that's the imagined piece. And then I teach, I teach athletes and people in business how to rehearse everything that they want to have happen. Mm-hmm. So again, the conscious mind, when you consciously picture that and you rehearse that, the self-image sees it. Yep. And it expands or shrinks. Right. If, yeah. And so if you learn how to, you know, I just call them, you know, rehearsals in the mind right mm-hmm. people call it visualization i think visualization gets it's it gets a little overused and people can't define it and they can't measure it and time it um it's it's deeper than that you know because we're we're rehearsing yeah i'm not i'm not just seeing myself have a great day dude i can tell you every detail mm-hmm. of what's going to happen oh yeah what's going to happen because this is the course that i'm setting yeah i mean olympians do it they rehearse winning that gold medal. By the time they step on the podium, they've won the gold medal 100,000 times. It's already been done. <clears throat> My God, it's just a formality. Yeah. Gosh, that's you, so good. You have to rehearse so what you want to have happen, even if it hasn't happened. Even if it hasn't happened. It's like, you know, with the athletes that we work with, I mean, I have them rehearse the competition multiple times before they even perform multiple times. Mm. I mean, one of the schools that I work with, Bradley University up in Peoria, Illinois, right? Started working with them, men's, men's golf team, Coach Jeff Roach is the coach up there. He's a good coach. And this was the fall of 2018, okay? And so go, at the end of October, winter already started hitting that part of Illinois. And it was the worst winter they'd ever had in the state. Hmm. So they're locked inside now. 
And they have very modest practice facilities from a golf standpoint. Okay. I mean, I mean, very modest, right? Right. They had an indoor putting area, a couple nets to hit into. Oh, actually, they got to go to an indoor baseball field one day a week and hit shots up to 125 yards. That's it. <laughs> so as a performance coach, that's what I got to work with. Right. Which gives you a big challenge because now you have to figure it out is, how to right? modify Their first event was in February down in Houston. Well, you know they're not going to get on grass. They can't play. But you know what they can do? They can start rehearsing the competition mm-hmm. of the golf course, mapping it out exactly the way they're going to play it. And I taught them how to use this technique that we use. And yeah. I'm telling you. So they rehearse it. I bet they rehearsed this event probably 60 or 70 times before they got to Houston. Wow. And I happened to be able to be able to be in Houston with them for that pre, pre-tournament round. Mm-hmm. It was pouring down rain. And we're out on the golf course practicing, playing our, playing our pre-tournament round. And uh, the athletes going, Coach, these fairways are so much wider than what we preloaded. And I'm like, yeah, bombs away, Big Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> so the first day, 36 holes was the first day. They hadn't been on a golf course since the end of October. Wow. They shot 10 under, set a new school record, leading the event. They ended up finishing second. They had winning performances both days. They got beat by another team that I, I consult for, which doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <clears throat> but, so excuse me. So now they've got to head back home. Yeah. Where they headed to? Back to the frozen tundra. Mm-hmm. Back to the indoor piece. Are they complaining about, no, we can't do this? No, they're, they're focusing on what got them to where they are. Yeah. We started the steps again. We hit the reset button. Their goal that year was to win the Missouri Valley Conference. Never won the Missouri Valley Conference in the history of the school. Okay? Mm-hmm. They started preparing for that golf course in February. They weren't playing it until end of April, almost May. Nationals are in June, mm-hmm. right? So they're, already, they're, they're preloading this golf course while they're competing in all the other events. Wow. They won three other events that year. Played less golf than anyone. They go to the Missouri Valley Conference Championship. They set a new conference record, a new school record. Wow. Won by 20 shots and brought home the first conference championship in the history of the school and played less golf than anybody Than anyone in Missouri Valley. Wow. That's so powerful. Because they grew their Mm self-image through imagined imprints. Right. They were imprinting all day And when day they long. got there, it's like, we've played this golf course a million times. And they never set foot on it. Wow. That's so good. And what is the detail that they're imagining this golf course to? Oh, they're, it's Are they playing thing. every shot, well, every hole? You, you know Google Earth, dude. Yeah. Google Earth Pro. Yeah. And it's got all the icons. Dude, you can tap it and draw the exact distance. And tap it and draw the exact distance. I mean, I have guys do this in motocross. Hmm. Bring up the track in Google Earth Pro. I mean, they can see everything. Yeah. And what you do That's is you're so you're good. playing the you're playing the competition. You're rehearsing it. Mm-hmm. So I have guys in motocross. I teach them to rehearse their motos. Right, a moto is 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 a day of racing. Right. Okay. So it's a series of laps, which is it's their moto. Okay. Right? So it varies. 
depending on whether it's amateur or professional, anywhere from six laps up to 12 laps. Okay. Right? So I have them rehearse the exact moto that they're going to have in that competition. And some of these guys are so good, they'll sit down in a chair, right? Like they're on the bike. They get the hands up on the bar. Wow. And they're taking themselves there. Yeah. And they ride the whole, mo- whole motto, moto for the first day, right? Every detail. Coming out of the gate, where they are in the whole shot, what lines are taken, what options, where they are on the bike, what throttle, what gear, how they're managing the brake, how they're managing the clutch, going through these turns, these jumps, everything. One of the guys that I coach, Justin Cooper, he's one of the top professional guys in the world. He says, he called me, he said, Coach, he said, um, I broke a sweat for the first time. <laughs> Preloading the event. <laughs> wow. So what? Uh, yeah. I got a friend that's, uh, on Chul Lee from South Korea. Okay. Right? Laney introduced me to him. And um, he won three gold medals uh, in the Olympics years ago. And I was asking him about these imagined imprints, right? He said, Sean, he goes, when I went to my first Olympics, he said, man, he goes, I thought I was really prepared and I got my butt handed to me. Hmm. And I, I, I picked up a medal, but man, I wasn't prepared. And then I really started understanding the, the preparation upstairs in the mind before I even got to the event. Mm-hmm. And he said, I could sit at my desk and I could rehearse my entire performance for the gold medal and my entire clothes would be drenched. Wow. It was that strong. It was that strong. Wow. Folks, there is no substitution for those kinds of imprints. You know, we think that the imprints are, oh, we got to go out and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think probably the, one of the biggest things that I learned, I have learned, is that, you know, all sports, I mean, not even sports, but even in business, we're, we're so tilted towards the skill acquisition, mm-hmm. okay, the skill acquisition knowledge, and that the knowledge base skill is really non-existent. So when you look at your super ultra elite athletes, I tell you what, let's just look at the, the modern day quarterbacks, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Let's put Peyton Manning in there, okay? Um, we can put Aaron Rodgers, or actually probably Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees. Let's mm-hmm. just put three in there. We could probably add some more. We'll just sure. use those three. Okay. Okay. What makes those three so great? Okay, let's take away their knowledge base. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the skills of Drew Brees, okay, he can barely see over the line of scrimmage. Okay, mm-hmm. he can't throw the deep ball, and he's not a good runner. So why is it that he's broken the records? Yeah. It's because, yeah, he's gotten the, the, the 10,000 reps, okay? Okay, mm-hmm. what is it, Anders Ericsson uh, um, that wrote the book? Um, to, you're talking uh, about to become a professional? Yeah, or, you know, getting in 10,000 hours, right? To right. become an expert, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, excuse me if I botched that, but I think it no, is. No, it's okay, it, Josh it knows it. What is it called? Well, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. There we go. I'm sorry. Malcolm yeah. Gladwell. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. My bad. 10,000 hours, become an expert. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Breeze has probably got twenty or 30,000 hours on the skill acquisition piece. Right. Okay. But this is what separates him. He's gotten the same amount of hours on the knowledge acquisition piece. Mm-hmm. So now you have both of those. You got the skill acquisition piece and you got the knowledge acquisition piece. And what does he, so then what drives those two? The self image is behind both of those pushing it. Mm-hmm. But in most sports, it's all tilted toward the skill acquisition. Look at Peyton Manning. Definitely couldn't run. He could throw the deep ball. He redefined the way offenses change plays at the line of scrimmage. He changed play five, six, seven times. Yeah. That was never done. And he revolutionized it. You don't do that with skill acquisition. Mm-hmm. You do it with knowledge acquisition. Yeah. And that's how he basically destroyed people in the, in the secondary with his passing. Tom Brady sits in the pocket better than any quarterback I think that we've ever had to play this game. Why? Because he knows where everybody is. Mm-hmm. He knows where his blockers are. He even did it with a bad line of scrimmage, a bad offensive line. Why? Because he knew where his guys could be at all times on the field. And he yeah. knew where he needed to move through the pocket. He's not a good runner. He can throw the ball well, but his knowledge acquisition, this is, folks, this is what turns people into superstars, hmm. is the knowledge acquisition piece. And skill acquisition, knowledge acquisition, driven by the self-image, and you protect that self-image, you can accomplish anything that you want to accomplish. That's so good. And one of the things that people should be putting into that knowledge acquisition process? Oh, my gosh. It's so I mean, many things, but are there a few specific things that people well, should Well, I think the on? thing is, is that, you know, I always, I mean, I look at it from a standpoint of understanding what your training looks like. Mm-hmm. When, so for example, if, I'll give you an example. So I'm on the, I'm on the field with, uh, with the Saints and with Aaron Glenn, who is um, um, a D-back coach, right? Really good. Aaron played at A&M. He's a Parcells guy, super coach. Um, Marcus Williams comes across the middle to make an interception, and he drops the ball. Okay? So this is twofold, self-image. AG's comment was, Marcus, don't drop the... Ethan Ball. Mm-hmm. Is that the imprint that we want to tell Marcus? Definitely not. No. And I start laughing and Mike, you just told him to do exactly what you didn't want him to do. Right? Mm-hmm. So what should we ask? What solutions are you going to put in place there, Marcus? Mm-hmm. Does he know the solutions? Knowledge acquisition, right? Mm-hmm. Does he know the solutions as opposed to us telling him? Let's draw it out. Right. Let's see yeah. if the athlete knows. Yeah. You did this with me back in the I day. I know. So, Marcus, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to be here and here, and then when I go to catch it, I'm going to go hands out, thumbs down, I'm going to catch it. Okay, it's like you to catch the ball. So I said, so what should you say? Marcus, it's like you to catch the ball, man. Get your hands in position. Yeah, so much different. So much different. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the knowledge. That's the knowledge piece. You've got to draw the information out from your people all the time, making sure that they're getting the knowledge. Right. I mean, typically your leaders, your managers, your, you know, your coaches, they have all the knowledge and they're dispensing this into the athletes and they're always telling. Mm-hmm. They're never drawing it out of those people. They never draw it out. Yeah. And one of the biggest ways to draw it out is make them right. Hmm. I mean, if you ever saw the playbook that the New Orleans Saints have, I mean, it's, a, it's like six inches thick. You know, it's the biggest three-ring binders that you can see. It's massive, right? That's their offensive, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. offensive plays. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of knowledge that has to be there. Yeah. I mean, Sean Payton is, is a remarkable coach, and he's very complex. And because there's a lot of knowledge there. Yeah. That's so good. It's not like, hey, we're going to run a series of five or six plays today. I mean, I don't, you guys, you know, you guys follow Taysom Hill, who's, you know, was the backup quarterback for Breeze. And my gosh, you know, it's this guy. I mean, Sean Payton calls him Jim Thorpe because he can do anything and everything. Last year they were playing, I forget who we were playing. And all of a sudden we run this play. We haven't run this play all year long. We put it in play a week before this game. Mm-hmm. And we were looking, Sean was telling me, we were looking, if they set up in this particular defensive scheme, we were waiting, mm. waiting, 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 and waiting. And they set up in that scheme. All of a sudden, Taysom Hill comes in as a, as a, as a wide out. They're not paying attention to him. Yeah. Bam. Touchdown. Yeah. That's so, knowledge acquisition. Right. That's it's, not skill. Yeah, it's knowledge. It's from everyone, right? Mm-hmm. All the athletes, the coaches, everybody on the same page. You know, um, you've got to get the reps in, man. Mm-hmm. The reps on the knowledge piece. I mean, I'll give you a prime example. Me learning and building this system. Yeah, reps. Oh, my gosh. I mean... You know, we, we talk about this all the time. We talk about this EPS all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I make fun of this because, you know, it's, it's funny. Coaches, they say, they'll say, well, it's the little things that count. Yeah, that's all they say. Right. <laughs> what are the little things? What are, right. what are the little things that count? What are they? Mm-hmm. They need to be defined. They need to be measured. They need to be timed. Yeah. You know, if you can't break it down, man, on what you did, what you learned, what solutions you put in place, what you did great, what your goal statement is and all that, if you can't break that down, dude, you're not, you're not moving the needle on the noggin, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you got a teacup up here, right? My goal is to turn it into a vat. Mm-hmm. So you got to exercise the muscle upstairs. See, everybody's working on everything below the shoulders, right? which is the physical skill acquisition. Yeah. And few are working on above the shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, and you work on both. You have something really special. You do. You, you have something special. I mean, everything starts upstairs. Yeah. Everything does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see it in all sports, especially golf, because it's so tilted towards the technical side. I mean, baseball is too, and pitching. I mean, all sports are. Yeah. But it's, 
you know, how does it become like them to do it in a stressful situation? You know, you've got to be able to control your thoughts before, during, mm-hmm. and after. And how, so that's the point I was going to ask you next is how do we control those stressful situations? How, how can we, how can we keep our head on our shoulders when it gets really stressful yeah. and we don't get frazzled and blow up the whole process? How do we right. stay on that, that path? You know, it's funny is because everyone looks at what a high stress situation is, right? Let's just say competition, right? And everybody looks at, well, this is what you should be doing in competition. And they're really missing the point. It's what you should be doing in your training. Mm. Because they don't look at training. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always believed this and I've always said it is that you compete the way you train and you train the way you compete. Yeah. Okay, so I believe that most athletes their training doesn't have high enough consequences. Hmm. Because I think we can all agree that competition has the highest consequences, right? Yeah. I mean... Stakes are high. Stakes are high. Hmm. Why doesn't your training? Hmm. It does at the Olympic level. I can promise you. Yeah. Because they're, they're training for one event. So how does it become like them to win a gold medal when they're only actually competing for the gold medal one time? Right. How does it become like them to do that? Yeah. They have to practice. They have There's, to rehearse that. Yeah. Outcome. They have not only from the imprints that we talk Mm-mm. about with the self-image, the imagined, the actual, and the environment. I mean, we just really only touched on the imagined imprints. Then you have actual and you have environment. But your training has to have consequences, man. Your, yeah. training, your training has to be brutal. It has to be punishing. I mean, I hear this all the time. So I ask athletes, I say, okay, what happens in competition? Are you miserable? Most of them say, yeah. Hmm. They're nervous and they're miserable. I say, okay, so let me ask you something. Are you nervous or miserable in your training? No. Well, what's going on training? Oh, training's fun. Well, I think you got it backwards. Hmm. Yeah. I think, I, think, so I think the model's broken. Yeah. And it is. The model is broken. Yeah. The model of how we train our athletes, it's very antiquated, and it's very archaic. Hmm. Is that you want competition to be fun. It should just be a reproduction of your training. You should be able to show off. Yeah. And your training must have, it must be brutal. Mm-hmm. It must be misery. It must be struggle. Struggle's how you learn. Yeah. I mean, struggle and misery, they should, be, they should go together. Yeah. I mean, I always said it, you know, when we were running the academy, I said, come on, guys, let's go struggle today. <laughs> we're going to sprinkle a little misery on top of it while we're out there. <laughs> but you have, to embrace, you have to embrace struggle. And I think, you know, um, it's a whole different topic, but I really believe it's a lost art in this world today. I think that, struggle, that we don't teach people how to struggle. Mm. And we don't embrace it mm-hmm. because struggles, how you learn, that's how you exercise this. And I'm not talking about failure. So don't get me wrong. Don't go on the failure piece because failure is a figment of your imagination. Failure doesn't exist. I'm no. sorry. It doesn't. But it's the struggle. Mm-hmm. And if you learn how to struggle really good, you're going to embrace misery. Mm-hmm. And you learn how to struggle and you're going to grow and you're going to get better. Yeah. But um, I think it's a lost art in our school systems today. Um, 
I think it's all the way around. I think it's lost art at home. Hmm. Um, you know, and I'm all about struggle. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to, I mean, honestly, I hate, it may sound sick, but I love struggling. Yeah. I mean, I really do. I'm not learning and I'm not getting better if I'm not struggling. That's why we do the project model the way it is, right? So when you accomplish, you reset, you start over, you're starting with the next struggle again. Yeah. I mean, how are you going to get any better if you're not struggling? I mean, guys, this is how the best think. Mm -hmm. This is why they are the best. It's true. Well, and you've, what I love is that you, like you just said, you really embody all of this. I mean, you're one of the happiest guys that I know, <laughs> truly. Like, you're just a happy person. Um, but you, you've struggled. Like, oh. you've, you've had personal struggle. You, I mean, you've gone through a lot of stuff. And you struggle with EPS. I mean, you're you're constantly tweaking and changing, and and I mean, it. You're again. You're one of the happiest people that I know. Well, I I love the struggle. Yeah. If I'm not if I'm not struggling, me, right? I just don't I don't show it. Mm -hmm. I don't allow anyone to see it. Why should I? I mean, I'm not going to sit around and say, oh, man, Evan, I'm struggling with this, dude. I'm having such a hard time with this. I can't do this and can't do that. You're like, dude, I want to hear that shit. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's right. like, dude, shut up. Yeah. I mean, if you want things to happen right, you, you've got to focus on what you need to have happen. You know, yeah. you, and you've got to rehearse it all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you're improving probability. That's all we're trying to do here is improve probability at home, on the field, in the classroom, yeah. with the athletes, with the executives. Mm -hmm. It's all we're doing is trying to improve probability. But if you don't have systems and check, check marks and steps and how-tos and framework, you're going to be lost in the black box. Yeah. And that was a conversation that Drew Brees and I had. He's like, you know, Sean, he goes, man, I, I get lost in the black box sometimes, man. And, I, and it takes me forever to get out of it and get it right. But he does figure it out. All I did was help put framework around what these guys are doing. Mm -hmm. It's all I do. It's like, you know, it's the athletes that are changing the performance, man. I just teach them how to do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not inventing, not reinventing the wheel here. I mean, all this stuff is the Olympians do. All I did was bring it to mainstream. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know? And, you know, it's, hey, you know, my, my, my physician, my, my general practitioner, his name's Dr. Edwin Matthews, right? He's, he's an amazing doctor, right? He was a military doctor, right? And, and if you know anything about how military medics are trained, they're trained in less than half the time mm -hmm. a regular physician or medical emergency physician is trained. In half the time. So their knowledge and their capacity and tolerance is huge. Is it's unbelievable. And I never knew that. And I got to know him. I he's been my physician. We've been buddies, played golf, and he's a big time golfer for twenty five years. Hmm. And he's a military guy. And he's like, Sean, our life is a war. And every day is a battle. And you better have a plan for that battle every day. 
if you're going to have a chance to win the war. So good. Gosh, one of the best one of the best know. things we've we've heard on on this podcast. I don't know I don't know how you can say it any better because he deals with people that are in, in, in good health and people that are struggling. Yeah. You know, and and I've been there. And let me tell you, you you got to have a plan for the battle. Mhm. Every day. Yeah. Every day you got to have a plan for it. And the war is ongoing. Yeah. It's 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 ongoing until we go with the the big man upstairs. Mhm. It's constant. It is. And I think one of the cool things about you Sean is that you don't only talk about the stuff but you like I said you do it. Yeah. And well, you've been forced to do it. and you've actually been forced to exercise these models in this framework in a lot of areas of your life and you've proven that it works, which I think is really neat. Yeah, there's you know the the uh you know, in a day, we're all just trying to better ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And um, and also better the people around us, um, better the people that are in our lives, better the people that we teach and coach and train. And that's really all. I know that if if I help somebody get better, it's going to better me inside. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. because that's where all my energy. All my time and my effort is to how can I help get how can I help this athlete, this business person, whoever it is, help them move the needle in a direction and help them become someone that they're not. I think that's what we're all striving to do. You know, in this world, we're trying to become someone that we're not. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of perseverance towards the pursuit of that project. Mm -hmm. I'm not ever looking for perfection. Mm -hmm. Never. I'm looking for progress. Because when the pursuit is hot, again, habits and attitudes, right? When the habits and attitudes are pointed towards that pursuit, progress really gets good. Mm-hmm. That becomes the pursuit of perfection, is the pursuit of the progress. Mm. So good. Gosh, that's good. Uh, I, this is, I mean, we could go all day. Oh, yeah. We could go all day. Um, I, we we have to have you back. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna. Oh, yeah. This is one of many part series. Absolutely, dude. Um, and I'm just so grateful. What a what a great uh, time here today. This is special, man. Um, Especially it's with the holidays, you know, and um, we're working, but we're not working. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you don't work for a living. I don't work for a living either. No. Um, this is something that um, it's 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 not something that we do. It's who we are. Yep. Absolutely. And, um, and as long as I can continue to do who I am, not what I do, it's who I am. Um, I'm going to keep freaking kicking down the struggle, dude. (laughs) I believe you kicking the shit out of it. Right. I believe you. Um, before, before we end, uh, what, what's the one thing that you, the, the one piece of messaging that you really want to get across to people? Um, if we were to you know, boil everything down and, and the, the real message that you want to tell people out there 
Um, what is that one thing? You know, I can really just base it on my experiences, right? And not really not so my experiences. Well, yes, I can. But also um, everyone that I've taught and trained and coached, okay? It's usually going to take longer than you think, okay? It's going to be a lot harder than you think. And if you can... If you can have that mindset, it's going, to, it's going to do a couple things for you. It's going to build in patience, hmm. and it's going to give you more ambiguity. Ambiguity is the most important thing that you can possibly have in anything in this world, hmm. is to be able just to sit. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The harder we try, the more resistance we get. Again, I told you my, you know, my recipe didn't work. Overtraining and overtrying. Yeah, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn to sit with ambiguity, and it changed my life. Hmm. If you can do that, yeah. What was that like? It's realizing that you have to focus on the things that you have control of. Again, we live in a society that is so driven on outcome. We're trying to change outcome, and we don't realize that we have to change us. Mm-hmm. Right? And so what I did is I just realized that I've got I to focus on me, right? I've got to focus on the things that I have control of. What is that? Well, what I put down my throat. I've always been pretty good at it, right? Mm-hmm. I had to get better at it. Mm-hmm. I've always worked out. had to take it to a new level. Mm-hmm. Mine was always pretty sharp. It's got to get better. You know, knowing that if I don't wake up tomorrow, that I left everything, I laid it all out on the table. Mm. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. If I don't wake up tomorrow, um, it took me a long time to understand that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's critical. You know? Hey, I have no, I, had, I don't have a hard time laying my head down. Right? Yeah. And I sure the hell can't wait to get back up the next day to do it. Yeah. But if for some reason I'm not, I can't do it, then you know what? I, I, I laid it all out there. Hmm. You know, I, I think that's, you got to ask yourself. And I ask my athletes, because I command this and demand this of my athletes. Could you have done better here? Why? Why? Knowledge. Mm-hmm. The knowledge piece. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm still learning every day, and I can tell you what, I, I still know that I don't know. Yeah. And that's a lot of times I have to sit and think. Sit 
and think. Mm-hmm. Because I get a little hesitant. I get a little anxious. I get a little anxiety. I have a little stress, a little pressure. Mm-hmm. And I want to jump. I want to, yeah. I want to make it happen. I want to force it. Yeah. The more I have been prepared, outcome takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. So my effort's really been on that. And uh, I mean, tell you what, it's tough. It's tough to do this. It is. It's not easy. But if you can, it's, um, it starts with the project getting modeled first, man. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I start with everyone that I meet, everyone I work with. All right, I want to know where your habits and attitudes are, and I want to know what the project is, and let's go through all those steps. And, and that leads into, okay, do I believe that this plan will work? Yeah. Let me tell you something. Believing that something will work is 90% of it. Trust and commitment. Mm-hmm. Grow in your self-image so it becomes like you to do something that you haven't done before. And I love it when people tell me that I can't do something. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's fuel to yeah. the fire. And I know a lot of those stories. Yeah. And you do love it. Yeah, I do. You know, we love it. We, we love it. We absolutely love it. Yeah. You know, you need to be doing this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Bullshit. <laughs> right. You know, it's, we're all down these, we're all going down these unchartered paths, um, but they really are chartered. Just not You're not going us. down a path that anyone hasn't gone down before. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not cavemen. Yeah. You know, uh, the information's out there. You can find, I mean, we're in such a learning world right now. There's, there's information on everything. Everything. All you got to do is look it up. All you got to mm-hmm. do is find the resources are out there. Yep. Ask questions. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I did. Yeah. You know, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired and wanted to figure some things out. I think it's what you got to be willing to do. Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's not going to come to you. You got to go get it. Mm-hmm. And you got to be hell bent on finding it. Yeah. You got to be persistent. You got to, the old term, you got to be like a rat on a Cheeto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gnawing on it 24-7. Right. You know, you do. Yeah. You got to be relentless. You've got to be relentless. That's part of the pursuit. Mm-hmm. You know? But you got to be willing to sit with some ambiguity along the way, man. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what. And that's tough. You know, you folks are listening that are highly driven, very intense, very assertive, very assertive. Um, very high express, mm-hmm. you know, confident decision makers, yeah. you know, um, it's hard for us to, to sit with it. It's very hard. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's very hard to just be, be quiet yeah. with yourself. And, uh, makes us better, mm-hmm. you know, cool stuff. Yeah. Well, Sean, uh, I'm so grateful. Oh, likewise, brother. I mean, you're, again, I said it at the beginning, but I mean it. You're, you're one of the most important men in my life, and mm-hmm. you always will be. Um, and I can't wait to do more of these. Done, baby. This, this is one out of many. 
We could talk for days. We could. We could talk till the cows come home. <laughs> and maybe we will. Maybe we will. Well, thank you again. And uh, I know there's so much value here for the listeners and um, just so excited that we got to spend the time and we will see you next time. Awesome, brother. Thanks, pal. Thank you.